Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. He's a researcher at the IRR, and he has some very interesting insights on our experiences of critical race theory in schools. I'd like to give you a little bit of his bi- biography, and uh, then we'll get into it. He did a, a BA in the humanities at Stellenbosch, did his honours, and then went did a master's at Edinburgh University in philosophy. He taught for one year, and then, good man that he is, went to open a restaurant for a couple of years um, and decided he would go back into teaching, but it became apparent that positions were being essentially held on an affirmative action basis. Um, So there wasn't uh, much point in pursuing that further. So he joined the IR as an intern. A few months ago, I had an interview with with another colleague, our CEO-elect, John Endress, about critical race theory and what it is and what our concerns about it are. Um, And I'll just give you a little rundown of some of the issues that critical race theory deals with and why it's become a, and discuss with Caden why it's a, big, a problem in schools. And essentially the, the, the underlying assumptions with critical race theory, which has really been developing from the 60s onwards, but became critical race theory as we now know it in the 19, from the 1980s onwards, holds that racism is normal, permanent and everywhere and that race is a social construct that is used to perpetuate the domination by whites over blacks, and that if whites do compromise, they only do it out of self-interest. Another element, somewhat perturbing, is that the lived experience of an individual carries more validity than objective facts, and the object, uh, objective facts anyway reflect the dominance of white racism in society. Blacks and whites are cast as, as being in an unbridgeable gam, ga, camps engage in a culture war and, and until the prevailing Western democratic system is overthrown, the capitalist system. So it's essentially strongly socialist, even deeply Marxist. Uh, it, it's the end goal. Those in the, in the camp of blacks are the victims of injustice and those in the camp of the whites are the perpetrators of injustice. And you basically can't break out of your camp and the assumption is made by virtue of the color of your skin that you belong to a certain camp as long as the system stands. And if you question any of the assumptions put out by the critical race theorists, it is taken to be evidence of white fragility or you're taken to be a race traitor and usually deplatforming and cancellation will follow. Now, that's to give you little bit of background into the idea behind critical race theory. We are particularly concerned that critical race theory is being used not, it's not being taught about in schools, particularly in private schools, but it is being used to create transformation within schools, to, to create this, I, I don't know what you would call it, a transformation, but it's a transformation which insists that Blacks are the victims, whites are the oppressors, and one of the features that that often emanates from training within schools on this uh, proposed transformation is a separation of black children and white children into their respective groups, and particularly so that white children can inculcate it with the idea that they are oppressors, they come from an oppressor group, and essentially... White guilt will follow them forever and what they need to do in order to coexist with blacks. We find it a terribly, um, we think it's very harmful. And uh, and that's why I invited Caden on to talk about some of the experiences he's had. Now, Caden, you mentioned in, uh, or rather I mentioned in the opening of your bio that uh, 
taught for a year, which you which you really enjoyed, and you always wanted to go back into teaching, but you just as well you opened a restaurant because you would probably have been fired. This has is relevant to what we're talking about. Why would you have been fired? Do you think? Hi there, sorry, and hello to all of your listeners. Um, I think I'm I'm somebody that would have spoken out um, against a lot of what we're hearing about transformation. Um, like you kind of mentioned there, transformation is this kind of weird thing, you know, like it almost has um, very positive connotations, almost like a like um, a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly or something like that. But from what I've seen and from what I um, heard while I was teaching and then the materials I've kind of gone through is, it seems quite regressive to to me, and so um, I think I would have read a few of the school policies and pushed back a little bit against them, which um, I think back then it probably would have been okay. So we're like now kind of talking 2016, but mm-hmm. now it's gained massive momentum, and so I can imagine if I was still teaching in a school now, I wouldn't be a very a very desirable employee there. What do you attribute the the increasing, increasingly finding um, the transformation process being taking place in schools which are really based on a on on critical race theory. When did you become aware that it was really starting to pick up steam, uh, particularly in private schools? I think I. Well, I mean, if I just back up a little bit, at, at university we did a lot of postmodernism and feminist theory and um, that type of thing. And because I was, I also did a bit of English literature and postmodernism was quite a big part of those things. And so I was kind of always aware of the ideological underpinning. I just didn't, I didn't imagine it filtering down into our schools in the way that it has been. And so when I left teaching, I mean, I, I heard the word transformation bandied a little um, bandied around while I was teaching, but it was probably in about 2018, where it really came to my attention, where I was having a look at a school anti-discrimination policy. And I saw there that this particular school had um, banned color blindness as a view. Then say it like that, it was worded um, saying that you don't see color um, is an act of discrimination. And I read it in my naivety. I mean, I read it and I thought, no, there must be some kind of mistake here. I mean, am I reading this wrong? And so I got hold of the school and I engaged with them. And yeah, it seemed like that's exactly what they were saying. Now that shocked me because I think a lot of people who grew up in post-apartheid South Africa, like I did, um, the born free generation, I mean, Mm -hmm. the whole point of the rainbow nation and like that type of thing was that yes we are all different and we come from different homes and yeah we get socialized a bit differently but wasn't the whole point like martin luther king said to try and focus less on color and more on character and so i was quite shocked and so i started looking into other discrimination policies and then to my horror i saw them i saw this particular clause everywhere Mm. and i thought wow that's really bizarre and so I started looking into it, and then I realized um, that, that all the postmodern theory and the, well, critical theories in general had, in fact, filtered down into the schools. And then that kind of started me on this school transformation investigation. But another thing was that I, I applied for a job 
well, I was keen to apply for a job that was advertised for um, a part-time English teacher, and I was quite keen on that job. But then I read the the advertisement for, for the job, and explicitly, actually, twice, it said that um, th- this job, okay, it didn't say it was r- reserved for historically um, oppressed groups, but it, it said that um, uh, they are particularly looking for people who are um, historically oppressed because they want to add to the diversity of uh, the staff body. And so I was discouraged from applying for that job. And, and yeah, and so then it kind of started from there. I just go back to the issue of, of, of sort of the, the negation of colored blindness. Now, I've certainly always understood color blindness to be not that you don't see race. I mean, <laughs> race is, 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 is race is generally a, a visual uh, construct, but simply that you don't judge people in racial terms. You, you, you judge them on their own merits as equals, you know, subject to, to what your interaction with the individual says. What, what, why, why do they have a problem with color blindness? Why, why is this color blindness seen as a form of racism? So, yeah, going back to uh, your great introduction of what critical race theory focuses on, and you said there that race and racism, I mean, they've come into like hyper focus now. And so instead of the old view um, where, well, the classical liberal view or the humanist view where, um, you know, we're all individuals with our own hopes and desires and dreams, um, instead, we're meant to see race as a very, very important part of our identities. You see, if you want to try and remove race from our judgment of other people, then the critical race theory advocates will say, okay, what you're essentially doing is erasing somebody's identity. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of um, equated to like almost being racism blind. So um, I think, I think in their eyes, you know, like a lot of white people will say that they are colorblind as a way to mask their kind of white privilege or their racism you know and then another thing too is that and and i mean it is true that um white people have treated black black people really badly in the past i mean especially in this country Mm. and so to say that you are colorblind is also seen as a as a kind of um you you're brushing over the historical injustice Mm. um yeah, so that's basically it. That our that our color is very important to who we are. Actually, more important than um, a lot of other things. And so, <laughs> to say that you're colorblind is to say that you actually you're beyond noticing that person in their full humanity. So, so basically, the the whole fundamental basis for that is your your color is is integral to your identification, um, more so than your individual personality and abilities and views. Mm, yes, exactly. What I um, was perturbed, have been perturbed to discover is not only that this distinctly political program is, is people, people are being taught to regard each other in terms of race in order to supposedly overcome racism. What really perturbed me was to discover how intensely it is being taught in primary schools. So in other words, young children who are not appropriately forming views on political issues and on how to regard people are being taught that essentially they are the oppressor and that 
they they are on the wrong side of history and they somehow have to make it up to the victimized or the oppressed. This strikes me as bizarre and it also strikes me as bizarre that, I mean, the parents wouldn't expect a political philosophy to be taught to the exclusion of teaching any, any other political philosophy. Uh, what, what would your comment on those two issues be? Yeah, the first comment, I mean, you, you called it bizarre and I I think it is bizarre, but even more than that, I think it's a bit sad. I mean, I just don't, yeah, it just seems so regressive to me. I mean, if the whole point is to get to a post-racial society, and I assume that's what we all want, you know, yeah. I might be a bit naive there, but yeah, I mean, Sam Harris ha- has this point that we would like to kind of get to get to a place where we see race like we see hair color. Mm. And nobody's worried about how many blondes are on this school board and that type of thing. So uh, that is the goal. And if we focus more and more on race, we're never going to get there. Mm. And, and I mean, especially for, like you say, in primary schools, I mean, um, particularly our, our um, elite private schools, they are bringing in social justice curricula and some of the stuff that I have read I just can't see it being helpful to um, a country like ours with so much diversity in it. And I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you have a little white kid sitting next to a little black kid in class, I mean, that's what we want. We want integrated schools. We want everybody to see each other's humanity. But now if you have a teacher who is who has learned critical pedagogy um, at university and is being told to actually teach these children not just mathematics, not not just not just history, not science, but you actually want to teach little children about the intersections of power and privilege. Mm. And I think that those are very very complicated um, and quite nuanced. And I don't think that we should be. Um, I, I mean, some people have used the word indoctrination, which I think is maybe overused in some cases, but in some cases it's not. And I just don't think it's helpful to to be teaching an 11 or 12 year old white kid that he is essentially an oppressor. Mm. And then, I mean, in some ways, even worse, you're now going to tell tell the black child that he that the only way that he can re- really succeed in life is um, if white people kind of step aside and then like everything to do with whiteness and Western civilization needs to be dismantled in order for that black kid to actually succeed in life. And I think that that's a terrible thing to teach children. I think it's demonstrably false, um, first of all. But yeah, just not helpful to the psychology. I mean, if we, uh, I just can't see um, us all getting along really well in the playground and that type of thing, if we are told that we are fundamentally different, that, that that because of my whiteness, I am different to somebody else because they have blackness or something like that. And yeah, so it's just not helpful in general, I don't yeah. think. I, I think I would use the word bizarre again, because essentially what it's doing is tributing the sins of the father to the, to the children, literally, um, in that, you know, whites were responsible for apartheid and therefore... Whites forevermore are deemed to have inherited that responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, what masks that a lot is if you read the policies, they seem very liberal so, so often. And so they'll, like, say such nice things, uh, you know, like about diversity and inclusion and, like, trying to explain these things. But that's not... 
that's not that's not what they mean, you know. So so like as a parent, you often don't know what's what's actually going on in class and what is actually being taught. And I just think what you mentioned there is just another um, uh, um, argument for why for why parents should read the policies mm-hmm. and should actually ask schools about uh, what is going on in the curricula. Um, how? What's the driving force behind getting this specific program into schools? I mean, my sense from your experience is that with a bit of variation, the policies are very much the same. The impetus behind them is the same. Um, the idea of critical race theory as a means to transformation has taken has taken hold. What is the driving force that, that makes them all sort of fall into line in this rather – I, don't, I can't even think of the right word for it, but this almost authoritarian uh, lockstep. Mm, I think I'd say the driving force is is liberation in some sense, and and uh, I mean I think you know because of our history, if you have a look around our country and in a, and in a lot of the Western world, you can see that there are. Um, there is inequality, and that inequality it does often run along racial lines as a result of our history, and we must remember that. But I think that there there's a solution, you know, like the incrementalist solution and the marketplace of ideas, and we have a look and we make progress based on based on the evidence and logic and reason and stuff like that. But that's often quite slow. Um, mm. And so I think that that upsets a lot of people and like, why aren't we all equal? Mm. And, and so I think revolution is a very sexy thing. I think it's mm. very alluring. And, mm. and so I think that that's a, a big driving force. And like, especially in a country like ours, I mean, with what are white people, 8% of the population or something Correct. like that. It's, a, it's about and, eight or nine. Yeah, and so it must seem very strange to a lot of people to look around and still see, um, you know, the majority of white people going to the better schools and and they are richer and that kind of thing, which is always going to be the case because of our history. However, we can make progress in a lot of ways. And I think um, our policies have been terrible. We haven't focused on education and like that kind of thing. And so now... When you kind of see the inequalities persisting when it mm. gets to um, higher education and well secondary education like that kind of thing, you, you think why why do we have so many white teachers? Well, not that we have so many. It's just that there isn't a demographic um, proportionality happening. And then a lot of people are like, okay, so we need to find a reason. And and instead of trying to blame the government for terrible policies and for trying to uplift our um, so-called township schools and that kind of thing. We go, no, we need a revolution. Let's transform this. And the way to do that is to have hiring policies um, and that kind of go along affirmative action lines and and to try and um, get rid of kind of white values and norms because it must be those things, you know, that that are keeping the black population down, whereas I think that that's quite an insular view, and it just doesn't the the evidence just does not bear that out. I think what it also shows is that, and we have a habit of doing this. We've imported critical race theory, sort of holus bolus from the states, where the black population is about thirteen or fourteen percent, 
and and the, and the whites are in a majority, although it's, the majority is uh, narrowing. And, and, and of course, it doesn't take account for our specific circumstances, however terrible they may have been, because eight percent of whites can't don't in, in effect they certainly don't have the political power. Can I ask you just give me some examples of some of the extraordinary things you've seen that have been uh, sort of promoted or um, implemented? Under this, mm. under this guise. Mm. Yeah, sure. So, um, man, where to start? I've, I've spoken to lots of teachers and I've spoken to some heads of schools and I've had, um, parents get hold of me with some, with some quite horrible stories. Um, I mean, I've heard of, uh, white children being told to go to, to go to the back of tuck shop lines because, um, Black Lives Matter. I mean, I've heard of um, the most ridiculous racism accusations against teachers, and um, some teachers have actually left as a result of that. But I mean, really spurious allegations. But but that's not to say that there isn't any racism in our schools. I think there is. But the problem is, is that when you broaden the definition of racism so much, then like it often just becomes meaningless. Um, you, you can't find the, the real problems, but I mean, just, I think here's another example. And, um, I mean, imagine you are a 60 year old white lady who has been teaching since the eighties and you have taught in black only schools um, in some poor countries and then you come to a country like ours and you teach in a private school and then your school has a diversity training session and you're really upset about race relations uh, because you have never seen them so bad before and you try and explain this to the diversity consultant in front of all of your colleagues and you're quite sad and so you start crying and then the diversity consultant tells you to stop crying and and that your white tears are not needed here and the, and then for the rest of the session you are told well you are basically used an ex, as an example of white fragility and that's not an isolated incident this is happening all over the place and i think a lot of people when i speak to them about it they they think that I'm being a bit alarmist, but that's not the case at all. I mean, if you read some of the social justice material and it's full of um, admonitions of whiteness and and white values need to be dismantled and that kind of thing. And a lot of it's actually coming from Isasa. <laughs> so I'm not the, sure if we want to drag them into it. Okay. but yeah. Uh, uh, just to say that Isasa is the Independent Schools Association, South African Schools Association, um, which basically is the overarching advice advisory body for the independent, for the independent schools. And, uh, it's, it, it, I won't say too much about it at this stage, other than to say that it seem it appears that a, a lot of this drive has come from 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 there. But what what strikes me about some of the examples, because I've I've had examples of of say a, a girls' school, white girls being separated during a a, 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 a counselling session. Um, being told about the, the sort of eternal uh, white guilt and their fragility if they see, if they don't agree that things are as they are told to be. 
And I've come to the view that essentially one's looking at a philosophy, an ethos of humiliation. Um, and that strikes me as the, the, the only result you can have where you've got humiliated white kids and increasingly confident black kids is a divergence. In other words, you, you're going to, the races are going to be further apart so that they don't offend or accuse of being offended. And the, the opposite, uh, the opposite goal to uh, non-racism is, cannot be achieved. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you'll be shocked to know that, I mean, that's the segregation thing is widespread um, in South Africa's private schools. Uh, you, you are, so you often see in policies that they are going to create um, a black forum for parents or, or for students. Um, and it seems to be, if I read some of the, the demands of the, of students to their um, school administration, which is actually quite a common thing now. It's almost like a forming like a red guard type of thing, um, where, where the, they are demanding things like um, a safe space for black people so that they can get together w without um, ha having to kind of deal with the violence and like oppressive nature of white spaces, you, you know, and, and that's the general thing is that, up until now, in our private schools, well, most of our private schools were built during apartheid, and mm. they and they were they were built for white people. I mean, that's a fact that we can't get around. It's a it's a historical fact. And then black people and uh, coloured people, Indian people, were welcomed into the school. But now the problem is, is that. Up until now, the story goes that um, these schools have been expecting students of color to assimilate to the the norms of the school, which are Western Western norms. I mean, things mm. that, I guess like uniforms and um, particular hair policies and that type of thing. And and so now the whole thing about transformation is that you have a dominant group and a subordinate group, and a lot of policies will actually say that i don't know how true that actually is in our schools today mm. where you have like a big dominant group and a subordinate mm. group but uh, the thinking goes that the dominant group must kind of step aside um to include the subordinate group but i mean uh, that that brings a lot a lot of things with it that don't seem so good <laughs> Sorry, I think that was a terrible explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the last minute or so, um, my concern is that in, in, in this circumstance and if, if teachers are sort of walking on eggshells in the way they respond to their, te to, to their pupils, you have a situation where teachers lose authority and once they lose authority, they cannot effectively teach. Um, what do you think about that observation? Yeah, that's a very common theme when I speak two teachers um, and they kind of laugh when I tell them um, that apparently there's a dominant and a subordinate group with the dominant group being white and the subordinate group being black. And a lot of teachers just laugh and say, well, you should come to our school. I mean, white, white people have completely lost their voices. Um, they are afraid to kind of speak their minds in class. And that goes for a lot of teachers too. So, so there's a lot of, self-censorship going mm. on which is just not healthy at all uh, because obviously diversity 
does not mean diversity of opinion by the sounds of it. And and so a common problem is teachers being accosted in the corridors even by students and accusing them of racism and um, receiving emails from students and like like I said demands from students not pleas from students or or like nice polite letters mm. <laughs> I, I mean you, you should read some of these things sorry they are we demand that you do this we demand <laughs> that all the parents at the school undergo diversity training <laughs> you know I no, mean, good, good so, luck to them. yeah that is a problem I think students are gonna I think that's I mean if the case of UCT is anything to go by I think schools need to take qu- uh, quite a strong s- stand now um and actually say that we are the authorities here because we are we are older, we have studied, we know a little bit more what you're talking about, and we will take your concerns on board. However, you don't run the show and you don't get to really make demands mm-hmm. um, because the, the, the more schools don't do that, the, the more we, we might see problems like what happened at um, Evergreen State College mm. in the States. And then, yeah, students are just going to run over their schools, you know. Mm. It's, it's got a, a fairly creep, creepy quality about it. Um, Caden, I'll have to leave it there. Um, much more we can talk about, and I may discuss it a little bit later. But thank you very much for, for joining us and sharing your experience, which I think is people need to know that this is happening. No, it's a pleasure. Sorry, thank you very much. And yeah, as a final note, I would definitely um, encourage parents to take a uh, to um, have a look at their school policies, and then yeah, get, get a little bit more involved in their children's schooling than they are now. I think. Thank you once again. <laughs> cool. Sorry, cheers.